Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, that uh, you hold our days. God, you've numbered our days. Uh, Lord, that you are sovereign over all things. God, that you have loved us and is in your love for us that you've laid down your life for us. God, I pray that this morning, Lord, that we would humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty. God, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that neither the burning fear of persecution cause it to wither nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that as a seed is sown in good ground, it may bring forth 30, 60, or 100 fold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Father, I pray that today, Lord, that you would sanctify us in truth for your word is truth. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat here this morning. Uh, my name is Cole. I get to serve on staff here at Cross as a student minister. And every time I get to open up God's word with our church family, I'm always very excited uh, to open it up. And so uh, with that being said, if you wanna go ahead and flip over your Bible, if you got it there with you to Matthew chapter six, that's where we're gonna land at this morning. Uh, as you may know, uh, we have been working through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been literally teaching from a hill. Uh, and so we walked through the Beatitudes and we talked about fasting. Uh, and last we talked about what does it mean to live from, for heaven? And so today we're gonna follow suit and be right back in Matthew chapter six. Uh, but I wanna kind of like make a point this morning that now as you see on your screen, as you saw on your worship guide this morning, uh, some words that may have almost grieved you or caused the actual words to come up inside of you. The, the, the words are greater than anxiety. Anxiety is something that we, we talk about, maybe not enough, honestly, in our own lives. That anxiety has been uh, sometimes, in some cases, been handled very poorly. In other places, it has been handled very courageously. But anxiety is something that we have to talk about and be able to work through. And this morning, my goal is to not say, what does Cole think about anxiety, but rather to point us to what does Jesus say about anxiety? What does Jesus tell us about how we are to live and function in light of our anxiety? And so, but first we must know what actually is anxiety. We could boil it down to talk about fear, but the DSM-5 would uh, describe anxiety as this, is excessive worry or apprehensive expectations in regard to events or activities. You see, anxiety can also almost always in, in our culture can be seen as a negative thing, but it's also not a negative thing, it can be a positive thing. And to illustrate that, I want you to imagine that there is a hungry lion in the back right-hand corner of the gym. It's gonna cause you to probably have a little bit of anxiousness. For many of us, it's gonna cause us to do one of three things, okay? We're either going to fight the few, the proud, right? We're gonna flight, we're gonna run, or we're gonna freeze. And so our, our circumstances that what we end, the anxiety that comes up within us is gonna cause us to react in a certain way. And so those reactions aren't always necessarily bad in and of themselves, but sometimes we can always view them in a negative light. And so today I wanna make sure that we are aware before we talk about what Jesus is gonna talk about anxiety is that anxiety is not always bad and we need to not talk about it in such a way. But today what Jesus is going to address is the, the, the damaging part of anxiety in our lives. And not only does Jesus talk about it, but it's shown throughout the rest of the Bible. And like we talk about the apostle Paul in such a way that we put him up on this huge pedestal, right? And so I want us to see like, Paul talks about anxiety in his own life in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. See, he experienced anxiety himself. 
He cared for people, and it was his care for others that drove him to be anxious, to be worrisome about their lives. So, but not only does Paul have that anxiety, but he also talks about anxiety in Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven say this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see that Paul experiences anxiety, but then also teaches on anxiety. And today we're gonna really hone in on the damaging side of anxiety and Jesus is going to bring that to light and really show us that we cannot be dependent upon ourselves. And that brings us to our main idea this morning is that our greatest need in life is not our momentary gratification, but full trust in God. Our greatest need in life is not our momentary gratification, but our full trust in God. So just like every week, y'all, we're gonna dive into the scripture. We're not gonna talk about opinions. We're gonna dive in and say, what does God's word say? And so we wanna know what does it say, explain what it says and apply it to our lives. And so let's look back at Matthew chapter six. We're gonna read it in its entirety all over again, verses 25 through 34. So verse 25 says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is your life not more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that your word is truth. God, that we can rely on your word. God, Lord, your word is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, cutting past the bone and the marriage of the soul and the spirit. And so, Lord, today I pray, Lord, that as we digest your word, God, that you would point us back to you. God, that we would be just as the people who came to the disciples and asked, just let us see Jesus, um, Lord, because that's all you want us to do is see you in the midst of all of our lives. And so, God, be with us today. God, let your word be clear. Let it be swift. God, let it transform our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we open up Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus uses, a, Jesus uses a transitional phrase here of therefore. And just like any type of study of the Bible, when we see the word therefore, we must ask the question, what is it there for? Jesus here is continuing his point from verse 24. If you go back just one verse from 25, we see that Jesus finishes out the thought of living for heaven and not for earth with, you must not serve two masters because you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And in that he's saying, you can only serve me that I must be the master, that Jesus must be the master of our lives. And if he is the master of our lives, then this truth will now follow for us because he's wrapping up that mastership now. And therefore I tell you what, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is your life 
more than food and the body more than clothing. You see, this morning we're gonna come out with three things that Jesus says why we shouldn't be anxious and two of what we should do instead of being anxious. So first off, we're gonna see that your life is more. Your life is more, my life is more. Jesus is starting to turn the diamond of the gospel for the believer to say, hey, there's more implications for the gospel than what you think that there is. If you follow Jesus, don't be anxious about your life. Specifically, don't be anxious about momentary gratification, the things that we need to survive. We all know what we need, right? We need food, we need water, we need shelter to survive. But guess what? Jesus knows that too. Here he's not telling us to not be concerned about having things that we need, but rather putting into perspective food, water, and shelter that they're not the center of our world. That having these things aren't the the central focus of why we live. In making this statement, Jesus really levels the playing field, right? He levels the playing field for the richest of the rich who have all that they need and they don't have to ask for anything to the person who has no idea where their meal is coming from next. And asking this question, is your life more than your physical needs? And the answer is yes. Is your life more than that? Jesus is speaking to the fact that when we are anxious, we fail to see everything else that goes on in our lives most of the time, right? We have circumstances that hone in on our thoughts, that our actions and our thoughts are consumed with this one moment or this circumstance that we see in front of us and we don't see anything else that's going on in our life. We become consumed by it. And when I think about being consumed and like only having the narrow-mindedness of seeing just that one thing, I'm reminded of like growing up on a farm. Like we had nine horses. So if there's ever the trivia question of like how many horses did Cole grow up with, it's nine. That's the correct answer. Don't forget it, okay? But there would be times like when I was really little, we rode horses all the time. And so like it was just repetitively, like we're riding, we're riding, the horses are used to it. Well, as I grew up, you know, we didn't ride as much. Baseball took priority. I did a lot of that. So we didn't ride near as much. My mom and dad, like they grew up riding. So like they like team pinned and showed horses. And so like we did that all the time. But when we had not ridden in a very long time, we would put this specific bridle on that had these blinders on the horse's eyes so that way they could only see what we wanted them to see right in front of us, to go the direction that we wanted them to go. You see, in our anxiousness, sometimes we can be much like the horse. That we will will focus in on this one moment, this one circumstance in our life and not see anything else that's going on around us. We become consumed with what is going on. Sometimes uh, we can just be like them. However, we must be able to see past the struggle, past the moment that's right here in front of us and see that there is more to life than even just this one moment in this circumstance. We must see that there is something or rather someone who is more powerful than the struggle. There is more to our lives than what is right in front of us. And primarily when we look at this, we look at the scriptures, what do we see as the primary focus of our life? It's not just to get the things that we need to live, it's to glorify God. Our life is more. Our life is more than the things that we just need. What this means, if our life is about God, that means that our lives are not centered on our circumstances. Our lives are not centered on our emotions. Our lives are not centered on our wealth or not even our well-being. All these things are good things, but they are not ultimate. Our lives are more than the momentary gratification because our lives are not about us. Our lives are not about ourselves, but rather our lives are about Jesus. Consider this thought, that you were created for more than today. You were even created for more than tomorrow. In his word, God tells us that we were created by God to know him, to love him, to live with him, and to glorify him. That's why we can look at passages like Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 16. This is what Paul writes here. 
He says, he being Jesus. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Not that he was created, but that he is first in all things. He has priority. For by him, all things were created. He created the things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him. He brought them out and for him, for his pleasure. The God of the universe created us not for empty reason. You have a reason why you exist, why we exist. And we are to bear witness to his greatness. And this is why we can look at Deuteronomy chapter six and say, this is the greatest commandment. Jesus brings it back out again in the New Testament. But listen to verses four through five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's a totality thing. The wholeness of who we are, the the fullness of our being is to glorify God, to worship him, to love him. You were created for more than just the right here, right now. You're created for more than the day to day, the problem to problem. We were created for more, y'all. We were created to enjoy God, to love him and to know him. So to Jesus' question, are our lives more than the circumstances and our needs that consume our thoughts? The answer is yes. And our lives are more. So not only do we see that our lives are more, but now let's continue in at verse 26 through 27 to see what else Jesus has to say about anxiousness. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet they, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? So secondly, we see that do not be anxious for you have value. For we have value. This should be something that we kind of perk up at a little bit. Because a lot of times we tend to devalue who we are. We tend to think negatively about who we are. But Jesus here points us to the fact that he has created and he points us to look at the creation that he's made. He tells us to look at the birds and loot this account. He says, look at the sparrows. And he begins to talk to the, as the sparrows as if they, like, they're not farmers, right? They don't till the ground. The sparrows, the, the birds, they don't sow the seed. They don't water the ground. They don't even pull the weeds to make sure that the growth happens right. The sparrows and the birds are simply just recipients of the food. They just get it. They don't do any work to have it. They don't toil for it. And this is why Jesus tells us that they are fed. They're not fed because they do this work. They're fed because the Father feeds them. See, Jesus uses another part of creation to make the point of the hierarchy of creation, that nothing else is created like we are. That's why he asked the question, are you of not more value than they? Are you of not of more value than the very beings that I already provide for? Are you not of more value? And the answer is yes. It's an obvious question. And the reason we must ask now is, well, why are we of more value than the birds? Why are we of more value than the rest of creation? And the answer is that we are made in his image. We are made in the image of God. This is talked about as the Imago Dei. And we see this in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 27. It says, then God said, let us, us is the Trinity, okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Okay, it's not just, hey, when you look at Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, we don't just see, hey, here's the Trinity in the scripture. We see the moments of it. So let us, let God, the Godhead, make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created mankind, both man and woman, in his image, in his likeness. Now, there is nothing else in all of creation that is like us in that way. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And because we are made after his likeness, we have intrinsic value that no other part of creation has. He's placed his stamp on us in some, a way that is different than everything else. He shows us more of who he is as we live. And so when I think about this, I, I, over the last couple of weeks, I got to watch some TV. And uh, so The Knight's Tale, anybody ever seen The Knight's Tale? Yeah, I know, maybe there's a couple of y'all. Some people grand and say, like, oh yeah, I know that. So, okay, but this is a movie, okay? And in The Knight's Tale, there's this young squire and he desires to be a knight. His knight actually dies uh, trying to joust. And so he's like, he, I'm gonna take up his armor and I'm gonna go fight. I'm gonna go win some money so we can eat. And so he goes and he acquires his, his, his armor and he goes and fights and he wins. And so now he's like, okay, well now I gotta get some armor because my armor's now broke. And the blacksmiths are like, yeah, we're not doing that because you don't have the money to pay us yet. And so they send her over, send him over to this woman. And he's like, hey, she's a blacksmith. Maybe she'll do it for you, maybe not, but like you ain't gonna get it here. And so he goes over to her and eventually he, he uh, just kind of gets her to be able to say, hey, yeah, I'll do your armor. And so she begins to make armor for him. And at the end of the armor, he starts to put it on. He kind of looks over, he's like, well, what's, what's that? And she had etched in it uh, a symbol of her blacksmith. That way everybody would know, hey, if you like his armor, you come to me. In the same way, God's stamp has been placed on us. When people see us, they should see him. He has given us attributes, emotions, all these things that aren't just things that we just have in and of ourselves. They are his and he has given them to us. We share in those likenesses. So we're created in his image. We have things that the rest of creation doesn't bear. So he has made us in his image and we have higher value than the rest of creation. But we don't just see it in creation, we see it in the gospel. We see it in Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's each and every one of us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice that God didn't just die for anything. He died for you and he died for me. Each and every one of us ungodly distance from him, he dies to show us his love, to make reconciliation happen for us. We see this in Colossians chapter one, verses 19 through 20 as well. At the end of verse 20, we see that he makes peace by the blood of his cross. So it's not just that he dies, it's that his blood is poured out for the forgiveness of our sin, of our mistakes, of our not reaching the bar. This is what is beauty about the gospel, is that it's not about our good, but rather what he has done. Only his perfect life could atone for our sin. Only his perfect life could make him be the sacrifice that we need. See, God shows us our value, not in just in creating us in his likeness, but in more so in laying down his life on our behalf. So these are two ways or two reasons why we should not be anxious. Why? Because our life is more than the circumstance and we have value that nothing else has. But let's continue reading in verse 28 to see what else Jesus has to say about our anxiety. Verse 28 starts with this. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. 
Thirdly, we see that Jesus gives us the reason of God is our provider. God is our provider. Jesus now moves from the birds of the air to now the grass and the lilies of the field. He points out that the grass doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't toil. It doesn't spin. But yet through rain and sunshine, we see that the grass is covered in beautiful lilies, beautiful flowers. I know we don't have a ton of fields here, but back where I'm from, there were fields and you would see the beauty of the field. But yet Jesus still points out in verse 29 that Solomon being the wisest king in the Old Testament and had the most extravagant life, even Solomon's wealth and what he had acquired through his wealth did not compare to how God provides, to how God provides clothing and clothes us and beauty and gives us covering that we could find nowhere else. You see, what this isn't a call for, that when we talk about Jesus being the provider, God being the provider, is not a call to not work and simply not a call to not work hard. Because God tells us in his word in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that to give of all we do and everything that we do, give everything to the glory of God, do everything to his glory, which means that we should always work our hardest and always do our best. We should be the best at all that we do, not because we do it for ourselves, but because we do it for God. But yet even in the midst of our trying and in the midst of our working, y'all, we can miss the real reason. Because when we work so hard, sometimes we think, man, I'm just doing it and I'm doing it and I'm doing it. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps and it's gonna happen in my life. But right in those moments where it's like a flip of the script and it's like, man, we're humbled really quick. And we really see that we're not the ones in control. You see, in my life, I think about this, this, this is like super, pretty, like preaching on anxiety, like y'all, like I would say that I, in most of my life, I have not been an anxious person. In the last month and a half, like anxiety has ridiculed me. And I think about that because uh, October 21st is the day where my life over the last month or so has really changed. I haven't been able to do the things that I love to do. And all that is because at, at, at like 11.30 at night, I wake up in just this excruciating pain trying to pass through the night to say, hey, I just gotta get to that doctor's appointment on Monday. I can, I can push through, I can get there. Only for me to look at Ash and say, hey, like we gotta go to the ER. I can't stand this pain anymore. And while many of you in the room have no idea, like I've now like been diagnosed with diverticulitis and like part of that pain was the fact that my colon had ruptured, it had a perforation. I had a hole in my colon that was now leaking out into my body. See, it was in those moments where I realized that like, I'm not in control. I couldn't just take some over-the-counter meds and be good. I couldn't just change my diet real quick and now all of a sudden I'm in the clear. Like my body's even experiencing the repercussions of this today. Like I'm not in control. My life changed. I couldn't work out with my crew like I do at 5 a.m. almost every day anymore the same way. I couldn't do that. And like for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you know like, hey, like that's like been like the story of my stories over the last like six months. Like my life was changed and it has changed and it was continue to change because I'm not in control. And it, it took like this moment even for me to see that like, man, God is in control and I'm not. And it's in those moments, y'all, where we see that, man, it's not about us. And that the, in the middle of all these things, though, sometimes we can think in life that like, hey, like God's the provider, right? I see God providing in medicine right now in my own life. I see him providing in friendships. I see him providing in texts, calls, emails, all these things. But sometimes in our life, we think that we have to wait on God to do something miraculous to see that he's providing. 
In doing so, we may think that we need to look up at the stars and make sure that they align correctly, or we need to lay out our fleece and say like, hey, is it gonna be wet today so I can actually do something? Like we, we look for these miraculous things, really missing the things that are actually miraculous. We just pass them off as just the normal. You see, God provides in great ways. And one of the ways that he does it, I think primarily is through the gift of his church. Through the gift of his church. This is why it's important for us to have a clear understanding of the church. Y'all, the church isn't a building. We know that we're in a YMCA. We don't need, and we're about to be in our own building, but guess what? Those walls don't make us a church because the church is the body of believers. The church is the body of believers coming around the fact of the gospel and saying, hey, I wanna live for Jesus in every aspect of my life. You see, God provides through his church, through his people. See, I need to have my eyes, we need to have our eyes fixed back on Jesus to see that he is the one doing the work of providing in our lives through his church. That it's nothing short of miraculous. And we can see this happen in the New Testament. Acts chapter two, verse 45 says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Yo, it was like, this ain't, it ain't about me. It, this ain't my stuff. Man, my stuff is God's stuff and let us help one another. But we don't just see it at the very birth of the church. We see it in Acts chapter four as well, verses 34 through 35. He says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Y'all, this is not a call to have a different form of government. This is a call to love well. This is a call to care well. God provides through his church for each and every one of us, through community, through financial help, whatever it may be. But the reality is that God provides supernaturally for his people as they have been supernaturally changed by the gospel. Y'all, this stuff just doesn't happen. We're just not great people. Because we look at our lives, even this week, we're like, man, like I messed up in like countless ways. Like it's only through the power of the gospel that we are transformed in order to live out the gospel in this way. And listen, this is not what I'm saying. When we talk about like the church providing, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask God to do more than we ask or think. I'm not saying that we should just sit back on the couch, throw our feet up and be like, God, you got this. He does, and that's true. But he calls us to work, he calls us to ask. And y'all like, we are called to ask God to do so much more. That's why Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Y'all, God is calling us to ask him to do things. And guess what? He's gonna do it in whatever way he sees fit. Whether it's supernaturally and like not understanding what happened, like a healing of a body, like without Medicaid, like that's nuts. And sometimes we only see that as the miraculous thing, but rather the person in your community group who loves you, sees you in your hardship and they just pray for you. Or like, hey, like finances is an issue and like the church shows up. Or like how like meals are provided at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like all of this is miraculous. We just fail to see it through the proper lens. And so we see that God is the provider. You see, we see in verse 32 that Jesus references the Gentiles that they seek after all of these things. They seek after the things that we need. Their lives are fully dependent upon them. They run and they chase. He's saying, hey, but your heavenly father knows that you need them all. You know, our needs, the hard circumstances in our life, they don't surprise God. They don't surprise him. They don't catch him off guard. He knows what we need and he will give it to us. Sometimes we expect it to be the right here, right now but it may not be that. 
He may answer our prayers in a different way. You see, in this way of showing that the God, the Father knows all that we need, Jesus is giving us more assurance in the Father as he encourages the believers to not seek the material satisfaction as if that's the only thing that we have to live for, but rather to trust the Father because he knows exactly what we need. God knows what we need, y'all, and he is the supplier of our needs. He supplies and fulfills them. And now that we've seen that Jesus tells us to not be anxious because our lives are more, because we have value, and because he is our provider, let's see, what does God have to say? What does Jesus have to say what we should do and said. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 together. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the first thing we should do, but seek the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom primarily means that we make salvation in Jesus alone made known to those who don't believe. To seek the kingdom is to build the kingdom. We do this through being obedient to Christ in all matters of our lives even when it doesn't make it seem socially acceptable. Every part of our lives as followers of Jesus should be continually transformed by the gospel. As this happens, others will probably wonder, hey, what's going on in your life? And like the reality is that we see this as like, Jesus does this work in this part of my life, but not the everything part of my life. Like Jesus has come to do a work in every facet of our lives, in every aspect, in family, in work, and in relationships. If we're seeking, seeking the kingdom, then husbands, how you love your wife should resemble that of sacrificial love and not arrogance. It means that the nurse in the room, that like when you treat the patients, how do you treat them? You treat them with care, even though the patient is beyond difficult. Student, it means that you love others the way that you know that they should be loved, despite the fact they believe differently than you and you still stand true to God's word. It means that in every friendship and in every relationship, it's marked by forgiveness and not by holding grudges. Every facet of our lives must point to Jesus. To seek the kingdom is to build the kingdom. It's to live for Jesus. And yet again, we see another moment here where we see that Jesus is showing us that, man, our lives aren't about us. Our lives are about him. Our lives are about making him known, glorifying him, living him. We are, he is most satisfied or he's most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That is the beauty of our lives, is that it doesn't revolve around us, it revolves around someone who is so much bigger. But not only does he tell us to seek the kingdom, he tells us something else, he says in verse 33, but seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So secondly, we see that we seek his righteousness. We seek his righteousness. Notice that he doesn't say seek righteousness. He doesn't say do good. He says seek his righteousness. This reminds me of Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, what he does is he goes to, there's two prodigal sons, let's not negate that, okay? But one of them, he goes up to his dad and says, hey, give me my inheritance. I want all this money. Go ahead and give it to me now. And so his dad gives it to him. And basically what this son is saying, hey, I wish that you were just dead. So, but his dad, he gives him the money and he goes off to a far country. And what does he do? He, he lives his life up, spends all of his money and has nothing. The famine strikes the land and now he finds himself in a place of desperation. He's in the pig pen waiting and hoping just to eat the food that the pigs, that he's feeding the pigs. And it's in this moment of desperation, in this moment of being down that he realized, man, even the servants in my father's house had it better than this. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm gonna go back there. 
I'm not, I know I'm not gonna be welcomed as a son. I've dishonored my dad. I've told him I wish he was dead, but I'm gonna go back and just ask for him to give me a job. And so he begins to rehearse a speech to tell his dad as he comes back to his father. And it says that his father saw him from a long ways off. And rather than scoffing that his son was now coming back to him, he runs and he takes off to go see him. And while his son begins to try to recite this rehearsed speech back to his father, what does he do? His father cuts him off and hugs him and embraces him and puts on the clothes on his back, the signet ring of family onto his finger and then sandals on his feet. He brings him back. He says, come home, welcome home. In the same way, y'all, that's the gospel. Jesus doesn't say, hey, clean up your life and then come hang out with me. He says, come to me for I make you clean. Don't come and do, come because it has been done. That is the truth of the gospel. That is what we see when we see, see, seek his righteousness. He's saying, just look at me, just come to me. If our lives don't depend on us, our salvation surely can't either. Our salvation is dependent upon Jesus. We seek his kingdom, we seek his righteousness. See, Jesus is telling us to seek him to find our fulfillment, to find salvation, not the things that the world has to offer, but namely just him. See, this is what's beautiful. We look back at the Psalms and this is what David writes in Psalm 63, verse three. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise your name. My question to you, church, is have you experienced, do you know that his steadfast love is better than life? Because if you truly know that, if we truly know that, then we will run to him in glad anticipation that he is all we need. We need him. Jesus tells us to stop trying, but to simply just trust in him. It is when we seek his righteousness that we, righteousness that we can rest in what Jesus says next. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, in Christ we have been given something so much better than money, food, or even the beauty of the low country. In Christ we have been given what we could not attain for ourselves. He has given us our salvation. You see, if we are truly rely upon God in our greatest need, then we can be trusting him and we can depend on him in our momentary needs. It's with this truth that we can have no reason to be anxious for tomorrow because we trust in the one who brings forth tomorrow. We trust in the one who holds tomorrow and we trust in the one who cares for us today, tomorrow, and for eternity. Christ cares for you. And so now when we look at this text, now we have to ask the question, well, what do I do with this text? What do I do with what Jesus says about anxiety? That I should just look back at him now. What do I do? How does that practically work? And so now what we begin to see is like, hey, like, what does it look like if we're gonna look at him? It means that we surrender our doubt and we surrender our pride. We're gonna go through these hard moments in life when anxiousness revels in us, where we just like wrestle with it and we're thinking about it constantly and it consumes our minds. And then we have to come back to the truth. Jesus is saying, hey, look at the truth of who I am. We come back to these truths and we can say, hey God, I don't see how you are this. Where we can be like the father who desires for his son to be healed and says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I lay my doubts down at the cross knowing that man, no matter what I'm going through, he's right there with us. We sang about it earlier. But not only do we surrender our doubts, we surrender our pride. 
That's that whole thing of I'm the provider. I can do it. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can make it happen. And we lay that down knowing that he is the one in control. We can try all we want, but the Lord will only be the one who builds the house. He is the one who does the work. And then secondly, y'all, we trust in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. That has really been his plea over the last two weeks, now this week in the Sermon on the Mount. Look to him in fasting. He says, hey, withhold food, withhold things from your life so that you can experience and know that you need me in your life. We talk about fasting is our feasting where we take away from one thing, but we replace it with consuming and diving into who God is and in his word. He says, just look to me. And last week, living for heaven and not for earth is another thing of look to him because you can't do it on your own. And then this week in our anxiety, what do we do? He says, man, just look at me. I'm where you find complete satisfaction and rest. We are dependent upon him in all things, in all matters of life. And as we close, what I wanna do is I wanna finish up with just thinking about what Peter says uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses six through seven. This is what Peter writes. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all, everybody say all. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You can bring everything to Jesus, everything. There's not a thing in your life that he doesn't care about. Cast every anxiety on him because he cares for you because he's there for you. And as God who cares for us, he knows that we will be anxious when we navigate through life. But you weren't meant to do it alone. That's why he gives us community, but namely it's why he gives us himself because he cares about you. So we should cast our anxieties on him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would let the, your word resonate in our hearts, God. Lord, we have a vast amount of opinions about what um, anxiety is and how it's handled. Lord, but you just, you're, you're just simply beckoning us to say, hey, look at you in the midst of it all. To fi- fix our eyes back on you God, to see that you have made us for more than just the needs that we have in life. God, that you have made us with more value than anything else in creation. Lord, you have made us and formed us, God, to let us see that you are a provider. God, you provide for the things that don't even work for anything. And yet, Lord, you say that you provide for us. God, that you clothe us even more than the lilies of the field. God, thank you that you have done that. God, you have covered us. God, in the gospel, your blood covers our sin. All of our mistakes, all the ways that we don't meet the standard, God, you've covered it as your righteousness alone. So Lord, I pray that today, God, we would be able to rest in what you have done for us in the gospel. God, that despite no matter what we go through in life, whatever anxieties come in our life, God, you are there with us beckoning us in the midst of the chaos to look at you, to see that you're with us, God, to see that you love us and you care for us. Lord, be with this day as we wrestle with your text. It's in Jesus' name I pray.